You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So in the back, I'm always praying. Uh, in, in the, there's a hallway back here, and I have a verse, and I was praying. and just listening to worship and just talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful thing, amazing thing. We're doing, closing out our series on David. And as we come to that time, <clears throat> it makes me think about a legacy, about a legacy that we all want to, to have, right? That I don't know about you, but there's times uh, when I'm at a funeral or, or drive by a, a, a cemetery, or I just think about, you know, what would be written on my tombstone? What would people think about me? And I'm sure you've had that too, that you've wondered, what would people remember? Would they think, man, he, was, he worked too much or he was amazing at his job? Would they think he was a great dad or he was never around? Would they think uh, he was a, a lousy neighbor or the most caring person ever? I don't know what people would think. But there's this idea of a legacy. You know, I've been kind of into uh, biographies lately, and so I've been listening to some biographies. I'm listening to one about Ulysses S. Grant right now. And it's been interesting to see what the preconceived ideas that I have of Ulysses S. Grant have completely changed as I've been listening to this one. I was mowing yesterday listening to it, and, and it was just interesting to see this person that I thought he was I'd only thought because of certain moments in time, not the entirety of, of the man. And we, we see that there's people that I can mention like Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold is a great example, or if I say, think about Benedict Arnold, what do you think of, right? If I say, think about Babe Ruth, what pops in your mind? Think about Neil Armstrong, what stands out? Think about Rosa Parks, what stands out to you? Martin Luther King Jr., what stands out? All these people are people in history that, that we remember. Most everyone in here would know each one of those people, right? But you often think about moments for a lot of them. For Benedict Arnold, you just think of that moment when he was a traitor, not the fact that he was a, a decorated general. For Babe Ruth, you think about the home runs, not about that he was a pitcher, not about, uh, about his fielding, not about his exploits on, on the team. For Neil Armstrong, you think about the moon. Don't think about his entire lifetime with NASA and, and all that he did. For Rosa Parks, we, it's, a, it's a great memory. We think about the, the bus where she didn't stand up and leave the white section and stood up for civil rights, but it's still a moment. But for Martin Luther King Jr., you might think of a moment like the speech. You might think of his assassination, but there's so much more. For Martin Luther King Jr., it's a lifetime. It's a legacy. For those other people, they have great, uh, great memories. For, uh, well, not Benedict Arnold uh, wasn't a great one to learn from, but, but they're all people that you might learn from, but they're isolated moments. But Martin Luther King Jr., it's a legacy. It's a lifetime. There's so much more that, that we, as we unfold Martin Luther King Jr.'s life that you just dive into, there's so much that we've been impacted by his work towards civil rights and equality. There's so much, and there's a reason that every town has a Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard because of the lasting legacy. And so we get to the spot as we're finishing up David, and I want to see, I think, that David was a lot more than a memory, there's a lot more than a moment. There's the moment, sure, of killing Goliath. There's a moment of running from Saul. There's the moment of the affair. There's a moment of the census. There's a moment of being a great king. There's all these moments, but more so, I believe, with David, we've seen over the past 10 weeks, it's a legacy because there's a life. 
There's an entire lifetime behind who he is. There's a lifetime of following God. And I think that's the legacy that David leaves behind. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at his final moments. I think, like I said, and you know, when you're at a funeral and you think, what would my kids think of me? And we get a glimpse of this when David gathers his people and and he's kind of sharing his last final moments. He's sharing his his legacy. He's sharing what he wants the people to remember him as he hands over the, the throne to Solomon, his son. And so that's where we're going to be. We've been in First and Second Samuel up to this point, but Second Samuel ended last week. And so if you want to see the death of David, we've got to jump to a different book. And, and you can see David's, the end of David's life in First Kings or First Chronicles. And we're going to camp out in First Chronicles, specifically chapter 8. If you have, 28. If you have your Bibles, um, turn to 28. But before that, I'm going to start in, verse, in chapter 23 and share with you a verse. Chapter 9, or chapter 22, verse 9. But you will have a son. God, uh, David is sharing with Solomon what God has told David. So these were God's words. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. It's important there. Peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon. And I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So David shares this with Solomon, his son, and, and then by the next chapter, we get verse, chapter 23, verse 1. When David was old and full of years, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. So that kind of lays the groundwork with where we're at at this point. And so there's a time where they're co-kings, where David has established it, but David hasn't passed away yet. And so David's still sort of in charge, even though Solomon is taking over. Everyone's turning to Solomon, and, but David is still there. And then we get to this spot in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. It begins, David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. Basically, David gathers the who's who of Israel. These are all the influential people. These are all the people that he wants to deliver one final message to. These are the soldiers, these are the, the officers, these are the people that are in charge of his livestock. This is anyone that is in charge of anything in Israel has come together. There's a gathering of hundreds of people, and they're together. And they're listening one last time to their king. For 40 years, David has been king. Can you imagine that? For 40 years, he has been ruling over this country. We've gone through his whole lifetime in a matter of 10 weeks, but really we've spanned spanned decades. And for 40 years, he's been ruling the nation through good times and bad, through battles, through peace, through his mistakes, through the mistakes of the nation, through times that they've drawn closer to God. This is the king that has extended their territory. When he started, it was 6,000 miles. Now it's 60,000 miles. He has extended their territory. He has conquered neighboring armies. He has destroyed and annihilated the Philistines, their arch enemy, once and for all. This is the great King David. But now he knows he's on his final days. His voice is shaking. It's hard for him to stand. He's given over the throne to his son Solomon. And he wants to proclaim one last thing to everybody. And so they listen in 
as his voice shakes and he shares. It says, King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house and a palace, a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. David was a fighting king. And so we see, that's why David says that God shared, your son will be a king of peace. He will reign over peaceful times. And during the peaceful times, that's when my, king, that's when my palace, that's when my temple will be built. So it says David was turned away because he was a fighting king, because he was a king that expanded, because he was a king in the midst of wartime, because God told him no. This was David's dream. We talked about this several weeks ago that David had this dream that he's in the palace and he overlooks the Jerusalem and he sees the Ark of the Covenant is in this tent. Why is, why is God residing in a tent and I'm in this palace? Let me build a temple. And God says, no. It was a noble dream. It was a good dream. But God still tells him no. And I got to thank for many years, David struggled with, why no? But, but we'll see, he comes to terms with it here. But he had this dream, this desire that he's never able to fulfill. I don't know about you, but but I could fall on that as well. I think we all have a dream, a dream of this goal that we wanted to be, maybe when we were young, that we thought we would be, be this great goal. I wanted to be a, an engineer, a, a scientific engineer, because I, in middle school, I learned about this guy that made tomatoes to be squares. And, and I don't know why that fascinated me, but to this day, I still remember that class. I remember where I was sitting. I remember when they were telling us about these square tomatoes. And I loved Wendy's at the time. And I was like, that would be perfect. The burger's square. This is a win. This is what I should do with my life. And so I had this dream as a seventh grader. And then I got to college and I had a dream of being in the FBI. And so I pursued college and I pursued classes to be in the FBI. I, I wanted to be a criminologist and figure that out. And then I found out you have to be five foot eight to be in the FBI. And I'm not, and so even with shoes, big ones, uh, it's not going to cut it. And so that dream was crushed. And so you have these dreams, right? Those are simple little kiddish dreams, but they were dreams nonetheless that didn't come to fruition. Maybe you have dreams that you're still holding on to, but God has said no, that there's dreams that for whatever reason, whether we don't have the means or the height or whatever reason that we can't obtain these dreams... Something stands in the way. Sometimes what stands in the way is simply a no from God. And we can't understand. Maybe it's a dream for a relationship, a dream for a child. Maybe it's a dream to just to be alleviated from, from this illness that plagues us. It's these dreams that we have. And for some reason, these dreams aren't going to happen. That's where we see David here. And so he gathers all the people and he says, I have this dream, but he says, verse four, yet the Lord, the God of Israel chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader and from the tribe of Judah, he chose my family and from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. 
And I love this perspective because at the beginning he says, I had this great dream and it didn't happen. You all know I had this dream, this desire, and it didn't happen. But let me tell you what God did do. So often we dwell on what we think we want what we're missing, this dream that isn't happening, this illness that we're plagued with, this job that we didn't get, this relationship that's falling apart instead of looking at what God has done. David had this dream to build the temple, but look what God did. He pulled the shepherd out of nowhere and made him the king over Israel and then established that this kingdom would reign forever and eventually Jesus Christ comes out of the line of David and reigns on the throne in heaven and earth forever. No, David didn't get his dream, but he says, but look what God did do. And I think this is a great lesson for all of us that are caught up in, why aren't we getting this dream? Caught up in the disappointment which is real, which hurts. But maybe we need to also get caught up in what has God done? Where has God blessed me? What has God given me? Look at all this blessing that I have had from the Lord. And so David shares this perspective that he shares, yes, you all know I wanted to do this, but look what God did do for me. And then he says, he continues, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, all right, so that there's multiple reasons for that. Um, David didn't always make the, all the best choices. But the Lord has given me many. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the, your, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswavering and carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and all the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. It's hard to let go of this dream. It's hard to let go of that romance. It's hard to let go of this desire to be free from what ails us. But sometimes we have to let it go to see what God has given us, to see what will continue on, that God has blessed, what continue on, that God is ordaining and, and creating. His son Solomon is going to continue to reign. As long as he reigns in, in a God-fearing way, the kingdom will last. Look at what God has done, not only now, but into the future. Instead of being caught up of what we're missing, look what is going to happen because of God. So now David, in front of all the people, directs his look to Solomon, and he says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Here's Solomon, the newly minted king. He's seen his dad. His dad has been ruling for 40 years. He's seen his dad and seen the pressures of what it looks like to be king. And now those are all on him. And David's direction isn't, this is how you're going to win a military battle. It isn't, this is how you're going to rule your people. It isn't, this is how we tax the people. It isn't, this is how you're going to rule your palace. His direction is 
to love the Lord. This is what David wants to be his legacy. And he makes sure not to share this as a conversation in private to Solomon, which he could have easily done. Son, you're taking over the throne. Let me give you a few tips. But he tells us to all the people. Because while he's talking to Solomon, this direction is for all of Israel. To follow the Lord. To know God. To have a relationship with him. This is his legacy. This is what he wants all the people to know is to let other people see that you are following God. And this is a legacy that I hope that we could have. And when we talk about moments, this isn't just a, a singular moment in our life that we follow the Lord. This is the way we live. This is the way David lived because we, we've seen he's made a lot of great moments. He's made a lot of great mistakes. But every time he comes back to following the Lord with his life. This should be our desire as we talk about a legacy. Our legacy, I hope, would be that people would say, he knew the Lord. She knew the Lord. This week, Sarah went, uh, we did the, the pickup at, at Walmart uh, for one of the first times. And, and we, we probably looked odd. We didn't know what, Sarah didn't know what to do. And so the guy comes with her luggage, uh, with, not luggage, with her, um, we, we bought luggage at Walmart, um, with uh, her groceries. And, and she gets out of the car and she opens the trunk and she starts loading. And, and the guy says, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm going to help you. And he's just shocked, like no, no one gets out and helps him. And, and he says, well, thank you. And so they carry on a conversation and he says, you know what, I'm dreading 5.15. And she says, well, why is that when it gets really busy? Is everyone here at 5.15? He said, no, at 5.15, I have to go be the person at the front telling everyone to wear a mask. And he said, and people time after time will just yell at me, give me dirty looks, say swear words. And I sit here and think, how many Christians have come through there and given him a dirty look? How many people that are supposed to be representing Christ are saying something mean to this young kid that just is doing his job? Now, rather, whatever side you are on the mask, that's not the point. The point is, are we leaving a legacy to the Walmart guy that's standing outside doing the job he doesn't want to do? Are we sharing Christ with that guy? Are we sharing Christ in our homes? Sometimes it's easy to be a Christian when we're out and about to be nice to the Walmart guy, but we come home and, and, we're, and we're just worn out from a long day and we're short-tempered with our kids or our spouse. Maybe it's hard, the hard part to, to show Christ is at your job when, when you have to do whatever it takes to move up the corporate ladder, or perhaps at school where the peer pressure is great. Where are we leaving this legacy? Are we leaving a legacy that's pointing to God? at school, at work, at home, to the guy that we don't know at Walmart? Does he know Christ when you walk in there? I wonder, would he be able to say that you left this legacy? And so David continues on and he gives details about the temple. He's, he's gathered materials, he's gathered people, and he gives details to the entire assembly and to Solomon. Uh, here's how you're going to build the temple. I never got to do this, but Solomon, God has told me you will get to. And so I've prepared the way, and, and he gives these instructions. And, and then he continues on, and, and he addresses the assembly again in chapter 29. Turn the page, get to 29, and we see this prayer. And I love this, this, this praise that he has. Verse 10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. 
Remember, these are his final breaths. These are, he barely has the strength to stand, and this is what he wants to present to all the people. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. These are the words of King David at the end of his life. When he has the opportunity to address the entire assembly, he points them back to God to leave this legacy of pointing to the Lord. This is David. And I love this because as we've gone through this series, I don't know about you, but I've seen times that I've felt connected to David. I've, I've thought that I'm just like David in different ways. Perhaps and some of these stand out to you that you feel connected. We've seen David the shepherd, David the giant slayer, David the musician, David the fugitive, David with patience, David with a temper, David the king, David the adulterer, David the murderer, David the proud, David the humble, David the contrite, David the parent, David the spouse, David the leader, David the sinner, David the man after God's own heart. Perhaps one of those throughout this series you've connected with. Perhaps at this final moments of David's life, you can connect because there's a little bit of you in David, or a little bit of David in you. David was a sinner, just like us, with a lifetime of mistakes. David was a follower of God, just like us, with a lifetime of seeing God's victories. So as we close David's life, I want to look at that passage one more time, this time from from the message version, this time from our perspective. As we say we're connected with David, imagine that this legacy, the final moments that you have, could you share with an assembly? David, bless God in full view of the entire congregation. Blessed are you, God of Israel, our Father, from of old and forever. To you, O God, belongs the greatness and the might, the glory, the victory, the majesty, the splendor. Yes, everything in heaven, everything on earth, the kingdom, all yours. You've raised yourself high over all. Riches and glory come from you, your ruler over all. You hold strength and power in the palm of your hand to build up and strengthen all. And here we are, O God, our God, give thanks to you, praising your splendid name. His final moments, his legacy isn't about killing the giant, isn't about being king, isn't about the great victory over the Philistines, isn't about his adulterous affair. Sometimes we get caught up in that we're the sum of our, of our sins, isn't about his murder, isn't about the census. His life, his legacy is caught up in that final verse. I love it. And here we are, O oh God, our God, giving thanks to you, praising your splendid name. Is this your legacy? I hope so. I hope as I look back that this would be mine. Because I'm with David, I'm a sinner, I've made mistakes. And with David, I'm trying to follow God with my life. I believe you are too. 
And I hope that my final words, I hope that my final actions to the guy at Walmart that is never going to see me again, but the way I at least smile at him when he asked me to put on my mask would be saying, oh God, our God, we give thanks to you, praising your splendid name, that we're living a life glorifying God. So we've been looking at David all his whole life and we got to look at his death. Chronicles 29 closes in verse 26 says, David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel for 40 years, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed a long life, wealth and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. Paul puts it this way in Acts 13. The Apostle Paul says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. It's going to be the truth for all of us. We're going to be buried, our body will decay. But I hope will be, what will be true of all of us is when we have served God's purpose in our own generation. That purpose is to bring him glory. In our homes, at our work, to the Walmart kid as we enter in the building. Are we serving God's purpose with our lives? We have communion stations around the room and we take communion every week to to be reminded of Jesus' death on the cross and his victory over death and and the salvation that we have and and this opportunity that we have to to follow Jesus that when we've given our lives over to him, when we've accepted him as a savior, when we've been baptized, that we go and we are reminded every week of this decision, every week of this opportunity. And if you haven't made that opportunity, if you haven't made that decision, I want to encourage you, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you. If, if you're watching online and, and you haven't made that decision, reach out to us. Give me a call this week. I'd love to talk to you about that decision. But we have these stations of communion. And, and if you're taking communion at home, we're, we take communion to remember this. But I wanted one final David story as we go into this time of communion. This comes from 2 Samuel chapter 22. So go back a little bit of time before his death. And this is after he's already sinned with Bathsheba. After he's already murdered Uriah. After he's already had struggles with pride at times when he wanted to to take out Abigail's husband. After all these sins that we've already seen in David's life. He says these words. Right? You got to comprehend. He's already made some big mistakes. And he says these words. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. This is in 2 Samuel 22, verse 21 through 25. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. You read this and you're like, what? How, how is he saying this? Like, how can he say his hands are clean? How can he say he's not apart from God? He, he's had an affair. He's murdered people. He's done all these things that, that we know is wrong, and he's going to do more that we, we've come across. How can he have that view that his guilt is wiped clean? And we see in verse 25, it says, Therefore the Lord has re- recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. I love that. 
So we go to this time of communion. It's not in the eyes of the, the people. It's not in the eyes of Israel. It's not in the eyes of himself. All those people would see the sins. All those people would see the mistakes. All those people, including himself, would see the guilt. And he's saying, I am not guilty. I am not found guilty. I'm not covered with these sins because in God's eyes, I've been forgiven. I love that as we go to communion, in God's eyes, he has sent his son to wipe away our sins, to make us clean. So this morning, as we close out this life of David with communion, be reminded of God's eyes. How does he see you this morning? He sees you as his child. He sees you as his masterpiece. He sees you as wiped clean. He sees you as free from guilt. He doesn't see our list of mistakes. He sees the one that he loves. He sees Jesus dying on the cross and taking away our sins. This is what he sees when he sees you and I in his eyes. So let us live in this, in this great message of God's forgiveness. That is David, who we've seen throughout this life, wasn't perfect, could proclaim my guilt is set free in God's eyes. If you'll pray with me. Lord, I pray that we can leave a legacy that's glorifying to you. God, I pray that this legacy is about you. This isn't about who I am as a father, who someone is as a mother. This isn't about who we are as an employee or as a student. That our legacy isn't about who we are as a neighbor or, or any other thing. God, this legacy that we leave is about you. Or there's the people that know us most intimately at home, to the stranger that's standing outside Walmart. God, let us leave a legacy glorifying you. Let's leave a legacy worthy of you, the one who has forgiven us our sins. As we go to this time of communion, thank you for how you see us in your eyes, forgiven, made clean because of the son that you sent to die for us and to raise for us that we are victorious because he was victorious. God, we lift this up in your name. Amen.